The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations with which they work. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that. That's yeah. right. Okay. All right. Well, the cursing lamp is uh, off, and uh, and uh, I'm going to write down the time here. Where's the time here? Uh, Refresh. I normally do this with uh, with two computers in front of me, and I've got all my notes uh, on one computer and Skype on the other. But now I've got everything on one computer, so uh, I have my miniature laptop. It's <laughs> what I'm working from. I'm yeah. doing it at my desk with a 21-inch LCD monitor behind it. And then my portable desktop is over across the way on the kitchen table. So my my desktop is still Tango Uniform. It's in the shop. I don't know what's going on. And, speaking and of your, I won't get back till next week. So speaking of your mishmash of, of technology, what's the latest on your little experiment with electronic charting? Have you had a chance uh, to play with that gadget? I, I have. I have. It's gadget um, works as advertised. No issues. Uh, I finally. Uh, and I have it in my hot little hand in front of me, actually. Uh, got the um, uh, DVD from the FAA with all of the approach plates on it. Yeah. And this, this includes um, um, arrival procedures, uh, departure procedures, airport uh, taxi charts, um, the, basically everything that you would find in a complete set of the FAA's approach plate books. Everything it's all, you'd ever want to know. Everything you'd ever SIDS, want to yeah. have. stars, uh-huh. Uh-huh. back course, lopes. Front course, uh, whatever. Um, it's all on the same DVD. It, 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 there's room to spare, yada, yada, yada. <clears throat> the thing, one of the things that I was most concerned about um, is whether this was just something they just threw on the on the disc and, hey, you know, you're on your own figuring out which which file is is which for the for the approach or if they had you know some kind of at least a, a way to you know some kind of search engine to uh, uh, at least pull up the chart in say you know Adobe Acrobat Reader right uh, well I'm pleasantly uh, surprised and I think uh, this is one of those occasions where the FAA should get a major pat on the back not only is there a search engine that uh, is is very much like the one online on their on their website, which you can literally just uh, um, click on the state you're looking for and scroll through a list of the airports in that state by either city or airport name or identifier. But they also have a very slick viewer that is obviously designed not just for small screen computers, but for cockpit use. Cool. Um, and you can zoom in, zoom out, pan around. Um, it is it is one of the slicker uh, little applications that I have found um, uh, uh, for getting aviation applications. It's just one of the slicker applications I have found for uh, looking at PDFs and, and just looking at um, graphical files generally. Pretty damn so, fine. Yeah, so so really major hats off to the FAA. Have I used it in the airplane? I had it um, in, on a flight recently. 
Um, it was basically VFR, so I didn't, I wasn't really concerned too much about, you know, pulling out plates and, and looking up approaches and stuff like that. Um, I was running it on battery. Um, this is a, the uh, Samsung Q1. It's a, an earlier generation than the, than the current generation hardware. Uh, it's maybe a year or two old. Um, and uh, the screen was washed out uh, by sunlight. Um, so there's there's two fixes for that. One is um, um, running on ship's power, and I just haven't uh, broken down and splurged for the $75 cord uh, to do that. In that case, the screen will be much brighter because it won't be running on battery power, and I should be able to see the screen much better. Um, and the other fix, of course, is to do it at night or do it in a cloud. Um, so um, I, I'm so far, I'm I'm happy with what I've uh, what I've been able to put together here. Um, I'm not out of the woods yet. It's not bulletproof yet. I, I wouldn't um, depart uh, into low IFR with that as my only uh, source for charts right now. I'm I'm still kind of playing with it and experimenting with it, but that, so far would that so even good. Be a legal you, you, source of charts in IFR, or would you are you required? Oh, to it's, have? it's absolutely a legal source of charts. It, it is a legal source. It's a, what a class three EFB. It's, I thought it was a class one. A class uh, one. I'm sorry. Yeah, right. It yeah. goes the other way. Yeah, it goes the other bias. way. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's you know, and and of course it's FAA approved data because hint hint it comes from the FAA. The FAA. Sure. And the data certainly so, is legal. I just wondered if combining it with yeah. a random play, you know, computer. Makes they don't really care. And in fact, if you that's, if you that's a nice thing about class three EFBs is there's you know it's class one. It, or I'm sorry, class one. Yeah, I did it again. See, now it's that class three medical, class one you're, medical. You're just a classless person. Uh, that could be true. I'm standing on my head anyway. It's yoga day. Yeah. Uh, but that's a nice thing about the, the, the lowest level of EFB uh, technology the FAA will let you go with. Uh-huh. The standard's very broad, and it doesn't require essentially explicit FAA approval for the system right. the way a two or a three will. Well, and the other thing here, too, is that uh, you know, in the real world, the FAA doesn't really require um, the actual current chart in the uh, uh, in the airplane. Um, a, I have uh, the Garmin uh, uh, 530 in the panel, and it generally, right now, it does not. But uh, the last time I flew it, it did have a um, uh, current database. Uh-huh. So that data alone is is certainly legal enough. The only real information that I would need would be the minimum descent altitudes, and that's more than available from the controllers. And it's it's legal to to ask them that question mm-hmm. um, for for uh, approaches. So is I didn't it a, I realize is it, that the, the the GPS database would be a, a an adequate substitute for paper? It is. Uh, I know that. Yeah, learning yeah, something you, new every. You second. go through and you look at you know the guidance and the regs and, and the and that kind of thing. Electronic data is more than a legal substitute for hard paper. Yeah, cool. Well, so, it makes sense since that you know the class one EFB allows you to substitute well, exactly electronic data, uh, but uh, and it makes sense that you know in retrospect that a, an IFR approved current database uh, installed. GPS like the the 530 or 430 would be uh, a legal substitute for that. Yeah, yeah. I just always kind of looked at them as that's for the navigator and for the legal requirements. You still got to have something else, paper right. or an EFB. Right. Um, you know, I always try to carry the paper 
or in the past, let me put it another way, I have always yes. tried to carry the paper. Yeah, the and, electrical system could and, die. And, and in the near future, until I get um, um, the, the hardware, the software sorted out, and until uh, I get comfortable using it as a sole source, I will continue to carry the paper. Uh, this is a, it's not a flick the switch kind of thing. I consider this more of a transition. Right. Well, you've known how to fold paper for a long time. I've folded a lot of paper. Um, right. Some of yeah, it's you know small, rectangular, and green colored, and and some of it you know uh, pink and and uh, uh, yeah, I've folded a lot of paper in my time. Yeah. So yeah. now, are blue, you considering blue lines, yellow, pink, pink sheets, etc.? Yeah. Are you considering adding any other data or software to the system, or do you think the D, the, the CD DVD would be sufficient? Well, right now, um, I don't know. Is the quick answer? Where's the, uh, where's the in-route chart stat? Well, the in-route charts are not available digitally, at least not from the FAA. Um, there are, however, available sectionals uh, from the FAA. They're like a buck seventy-five a pop uh, to download uh, the, the full sectional chart in a in a uh, TIFF file. Or uh, that's not correct. It's it's uh, some kind of a scalable file format that, uh, and I just don't know off the top of my head what uh, what that is. Really, uh, the in route uh, the IFR low altitude in route charts um, are not yet available from the FAA. Now, um, other vendors. Um, um, I think Voyager Software is one. Um, uh, certainly, Jeppesen, um, other entities have low altitude in route charts available in a digital format that would work on this machine. Um, <clears throat> I haven't moved far enough down the path here uh, to going all digital um, to really investigate that or um, you know kind of decide which route I want to take. Um, Right now, I'm I'm kind of sticking with the paper in route charts also, and of course, you know the FAA just you know I don't I don't use the Jeppesen stuff. Uh, I just early on learned on uh, FAA's NOS uh, the FAA slash NOS chart format, and um, I just I've just stuck with that through the years. Mm-hmm. Uh, back then, it was a lot cheaper. Uh, the Jeppesen still is, and. Um, you could, you know, kind of a la carte uh, the charts you wanted, uh, and there wasn't the update um, issues that you have sometimes with with Jeppesen. So I've been happy with the FAA and LS formats, and and don't don't plan to change. Um, well, aren't you? I I have a long time user of uh, air chart systems bound in right. route charts, and uh-huh. then of course that's the FAA, the NACO approach uh-huh. plates, and. Uh, and uh, I, I found that, and their update system, actually pretty simple to use. It is. You just spent the five minutes when the postcard came every right. 28 days. Right. It, it, and I've used the air charts before, and it's a, it's a great product, uh, both in the, the VFR and the IFR versions. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I remember uh, uh, right after I got my private, that's what my father and I were using. And... Uh, um, it was it was just great because right there in your hand you had one book that had you know every chart of the U.S. in it and uh, uh, as long as you, you know, as Dave says as long as you keep up with the updates you're you're uh, you're home free. Um, I, that's another option actually that I uh, I have thought about. Um, 
but I haven't really come to a, a final uh, final decision. This is well, Zick, this is an evolution. Coming. This is an evolving uh, thing. Yeah, so. yeah. That's just where that's just where my next comment was going. That, uh, that you know, this is an inevitability that something that you like that's scalable uh-huh. and uh, and and panable it quickly and easily reloads well. That scalability thing that's finally gotten resolved pretty. Pretty right. well in high-end graphics, and rather inexpensively. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, they're using a vector software, and uh-huh. don't anybody write and ask me what the hell that means. <laughs> I don't know. It's like I don't know how a digital camera works. I do know how to use one. That's right. Uh, why I, why a grayscale pixel can turn things into you know six colors i don't know but well uh that that product's going to come along it's going to load on your on your little cockpit device there and and it's all going to go you know the paper's all going to go the way of uh papyrus Mm -hmm. well you know last weekend i flew from um, venice florida up to roanoke virginia and back over about a uh, 28 hour period um I think I touched a paper chart once, and that was um, for some unknown reason. I think I was trying to double check. Oh, I know what it was. It was on the way back, and I was double checking the uh, um, vertical limit of the Tampa class Bravo airspace. Mm-hmm. There you go. Because uh, I was poking in the top of it. No, um, I, yeah. Go ahead. No, you know, that, that, that includes that includes going up over the top of Charlotte's class Bravo and uh, uh, you know a whole bunch of, of airborne reroutes and and uh, weather avoidance and everything else. And I touched a paper chart, a paper in route chart once. Yeah, man, I'm sure glad you didn't get a paper cut. <laughs> I'm 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 just uh, amazed and uh, confused that I didn't get a paper cut. But now, on a slightly different subject, I have a confession to make. Um, I, so. You know, I'm feeling a little dirty here. Um, the, the, it's just friends here. Nobody. It's okay. Take a shower. The, the privacy, the privacy fanatic in me is troubled by the fact that uh, huh? that inspired by Dave, what he talked about in past podcasts. I know. I, know, I, know I, signed, I signed up for that service that tells me when you file your flight plan and and activate it and do various things. All right. And so I knew you were making that that flight, and and I'm watching it the whole time, thinking. This is wrong. I shouldn't be like, like <laughs> peeking into Jeb's life like this. It's like you know, this is none of my business that Jeb made a flight to Roanoke. What do, you know? Why do? Why am I? It just kind of bugs me. But I did sign well, up. Well, I, so. I can remove my. I can opt myself out of that. Oh, you can. Uh, okay. Well, that makes uh, me feel a little better. It, right? it, it's not free, but it, it's not um, expensive to do either. So they um, charge you for you to enforce your right to privacy. Something like that. Yeah. Now, the you know, I don't. <laughs> I feel strongly both ways on this, and, and generally would would uh, um, be of the uh, um, it's my it's my privacy leave me alone kind of uh, um, reaction. But um, the, the theory is that uh, since you're using federal resources, yeah. uh, you're filing an IFR, and this is really IFR. This is not VFR. You're right. filing an IFR flight plan. You're using air traffic control resources, um, yada, 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 that it is therefore um, you, well, not so much public information, but you give up at, at a, a certain element of your right to privacy. Right. right. Do, do VFR uh, flight plans show up in that system? No. No. 
Yeah. So if you filed VFR, God forbid. Uh, <laughs> well, would, I would. I don't know. Would, if I'd file a VFR flight, but I might, might operate. Exactly. <laughs> my point exactly. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna say I'm not, not that there's not VFR, a value to VFR. Yeah. Say again. I, I rarely filed VFR, but I almost always asked for, and ninety percent of the time yeah. got VFR flight. Well, that's, 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 that's exactly right. I uh, when I was coming back um, from Roanoke last uh, last Saturday. Um, took off. Uh, I'd stopped at a small airport uh, south of Roanoke to top off with uh, really cheap gas, and uh, took off out of there and, and climbed straight to twelve five, and and um, got flight following and and uh, thoroughly annoyed Charlotte and and uh, uh, a variety of other uh, uh, people by uh, going right over the top of Charlotte at at twelve five. Um, but um, you know they're they're big boys. Yeah, that would explain um, why that would explain why I saw you file. I think I saw you depart. I think I saw something else, but I never saw you return yeah, I, home. I never saw you. I, I've. Yeah. yeah, I filed um, out of. I filed for the southbound trip. Uh, but I didn't pick up that clearance until well south of Charlotte uh, when the weather started to get a little um, interesting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Jack, you and I have both flown with him. He, we, you know what it means when he says the weather started to get uh, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, the, the the northbound trip, I, I basically. F- had IFR from the from the ground up to close to the destination where I had to cancel. Yeah, but okay. uh, all right. So I mean, you know, uh, yeah. that, that's the story of my life over the last yeah, week right. or so. Well, before I forget all of us completely, uh, let me jump in here and make this official <laughs> by saying, "Welcome, folks, to episode number eighty-two of Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast." We're recording this podcast on Saturday morning, uh, May seventeenth, two thousand and eight, uh, and too early. It's too early in the morning. It's ten. It just, it's, just seems like, you know, yesterday we were only episode thirty-six. I know. Have the episodes gone? Zooming right along. Let me say hi to the uh, folks, uh, the gang that are here in the virtual hangar. Uh, one of those voices telling about his uh, trips that I've been lurking on are is Jeb Burnside. <laughs> Jeb is talking You've to us. Vo- I'm You're just a I am a voyeur. I'm an aviation voyeur, a plane watcher of electronic sort now. Yeah. Yeah, an armchair plane watcher. That's right. That's right. And yeah. uh, Jeb is talking to us from his home in Sarasota, Florida. Good morning, Jeb. Good morning, Jack, and and good morning, Dave, and and to uh, to all of our listeners. Also, it may not be morning by the time you're listening to this, but uh, I hope it you had a good. It certainly is where we are. It <laughs> certainly is where we are. That's right. That's and that's, right. And that's Dave Higdon, and uh, Dave is talking to us from Wichita, Kansas, where it's nine o'clock in the morning, and. Uh, um, but that's what he wanted. Just he wanted he, you wanted it to be early. You wanted us to do this earlier, didn't you, Dave? No, no, you wanted this yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. Right. No, the, earlier would have been better, but that seemed kind of unfair to you guys. I I was up three hours ago. And, Milk on the cows. That's right. And uh, you know, had a Mickey D's carry out breakfast and uh, uh, got some things in order. And uh, as soon as we sign off here. Uh, jumping in the little truck and headed out west of Wichita about 20 miles to a little private grass strip for uh, a Saturday uh, Saturday morning fly-in. Oh, good. Cool. What's, uh, what's the... Uh, and, is it a... Is it a uh, it's just this little club that I belong to. Uh-huh. I, they're, they're welcoming some new people this Ah, this, okay. This Sounds, month, cool. So. Sounds cool. Sounds cool. It's going to be fun. 
and I am Jack Hodgson, uh, normally from Boston, Massachusetts, but today, uh, and this is this is the main reason why we're doing this on Saturday instead of our normal Thursday. Today, I'm in uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, on business. So, uh, so I'm, I'm, we're recording. I'm sitting in my hotel room here in, uh, in on the outskirts of Philadelphia, on the hotel uh, internet. And that, so, I'm not sure if this is obvious to people listening in, but that we've configured the uh, the Skype arrangement a little differently this week, so it might sound a little different because now. Jeb is hosting. That's the right. Skype. When, the, when the electrons come out of the tube, they take a right fork instead of a uh-huh. left fork. Yeah. Uh-huh. So these, these electrons are, are um, traveling a much greater distance now because they're they're starting here. They go up to Philly. They come back here, and then where do they go from from there? I don't know. That's right. So if the uh, if the podcast sounds uh, sounds odd in a, a way that's different from its normal odd sound, uh, I was going to say yeah, it's that's uh, that might be because of the uh, slightly different setup we have here this morning, and it so, also might be because at you know nine o'clock in the morning on a Saturday when you're going to go to a fly-in, beer is kind of off the question, and beer and hangar flying go together so well. Uh, well, at least you on know, Thursday evening, to live with but, uh, caffeine here. That's right. You know, speaking speaking of which, um, the other thing new in my. Uh, my aviation repertoire here over the last few days, I finally broke down and went out and bought a dorm-sized refrigerator, stuck it in the hangar. I thought you were going to say in the airplane. Okay. No. (laughs) (laughs) No, but that's a heck of a... You know, actually, I have a little 12-volt refrigerator, freezer thingy. Yeah. uh, Holds maybe, you know, four bottles of uh, water, Root beer, um, right? Yeah, root beer. Root beer. Yes, thank you. And I've 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 used it once or twice. I've had it for God, God only knows how long. But it, you know, last time I used it, anyway, it did work. Uh-huh. But I, I I finally broke down and, and went and bought a small refrigerator, filled it with uh, water and beer, and stuck it in the in the hangar. Mm-hmm. And uh, oh man, uh, you're okay. officially moved in. Now. I'm officially moved in. Exactly right. right. Yep. Yep. So uh, it took since September. It's a beautiful day here. It was supposed to be nasty and rainy today. It was awful rainy yesterday. Um, we were wandering around downtown Philadelphia doing well, computer it's, it's, work. It's waiting until it knows you want to go outside. Maybe. That's right. Although it's supposed to get warmer and warmer. And uh, it was a little chilly this are you, morning. Are you like at all close to the convention center where AOPA had their uh, their uh, uh, expo a few years ago? I, I don't know. I'm, I'm actually in a town that is uh, interestingly called Ben Salem, Pennsylvania, which is sort of no, on the northern outskirts. It's yeah. on the north. I look out my window here, and I see the Philadelphia Racetrack and Casino, which I may get my attention before the, the week is out. But, uh, <laughs> um, so, uh, and unfortunately, horse race, right? I, I don't at this time have a vehicle. I, ha- I, I drove a big, big truck down here, um, and uh, this big 26-foot truck is not really conducive to driving to the local airport to check out the airplanes. Hey, man, let's go cruise Grand <laughs> yeah. Avenue in the rental truck. So uh, I don't know what I'm going to do, but uh, theoretically, my, my, my uh, uh, co-workers and I are going to jump in the one rental car we have and go uh, check out the Liberty Bell uh, and stuff this afternoon. So well, then you will be getting close to that neighborhood. Yeah, is that uh, where it is? You know, yeah, it's it's not far from there, uh-huh. and uh, that that gets you much closer to the neighborhood where you can visit the competing Philly cheesesteak stands. Yeah, uh-huh. have they fixed that yet? Do you know? No, no, man, they still they still butt heads there. 
No, 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 no. The Liberty Bell, have they fixed it yet? <laughs> no. Oh, no, no. It's, it's, yeah, don't get me down this way. <laughs> it's, it's still cracked like other things I know. Uh-huh. Did you see the, did you, oh, we're really off of aviation now. Talk about rat holes. Uh, did you see the, uh, the Colbert Report uh, sh- uh, episode uh, a few weeks back where he was visiting uh, Philadelphia and he did a little oh, video yeah. thing where he toured and he went to see the Liberty Bell and he's standing there talking to the tour guide, you know, looking at the, admiring the Liberty Bell and he says, yeah. he says, Please, would it be all right if I if I licked the crack of liberty? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's true. Dead, too early in the morning for dead, that. Dead straight face too, and that person I think went right past him. Oh, uh, well, uh, um, sure, <laughs> or whatever. I didn't. I just saw the promo. But uh, anyways, all right, back to aviation. Let's see what's going on here. Uh, this is the Air oddest. Heads. This is this doesn't really qualify, but I'm going to call it the oddest off-field landing of the week that we've ever had. All right, because strictly How about speaking, the odd field. Why don't we just call it what it is? The odd field landing of the week. Yeah. Well, no, because strictly speaking, one of these airplanes didn't land on the field. Um, That's and, true. So That's this is true. the. Uh, Still have. No, 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 no. I said odd field. Landing odd field. So it's still an one o, of them uh, is on the field, and oddly, one of them isn't. That's yeah. right. One of them has, well, has never landed on the field. It's still up in the air. Yeah. So this is that's the uh, well, you know from these images. Yeah. This is the Piper and the Stinson that had a. I guess it must have been on the ground. It really wasn't a midair, but uh, they uh, the Stinson was apparently preparing to take off. Was on the runway, and the Piper came down on top of it and uh, and embedded itself uh, above the wing, just off to the right of the fuselage, and uh, and they just kind of. You can only imagine. I'm trying to visualize exactly what happened here. It's there are so many things that are kind of astounding about this picture. Um, you know, the uh, the Piper stayed in place, sort of perched on top of the Stinson. Um, the Stinson took the weight. Uh, didn't the, col- the gear didn't collapse? At least not completely. Um, it stayed on the paved runway, um, and you got to figure it moved down the ways a little bit, you know, because the uh, yeah, the I Piper was clearly moving when they made contact and. Uh, oh, yeah. Um, I don't, and and I'm reading these stories. I guess maybe I ought to read it more carefully. Was the Stinson on the roll, or was it standing still? That's my understanding. I don't know if it was on the roll or not. It was um, from looks of its uh, position on position. the runway. He taxied does... into position and held. Okay. Yeah. And from reading a couple of other accounts on this, apparently there's a tree line uh, on final that until you are. Uh, really close to the arrival end of the runway blocks the uh, uh, area right there at the numbers, from the numbers to the end of the runway. Yeah. Uh, at least that's the way it, it, it read to me. The, the airplane was, the, the Stinson was sitting on the runway holding, and the two pilots were aware of one another, uh, and it sounded like there was a little confusion over who was going ahead and who was not going ahead. Well, okay, uh, then I, you know, based on very little information, just what you just said, I put a lot of blame on the Piper guy then, because if the Piper guy knew there was somebody in position, um, he should have been, had an eye on it, he should have. I I don't disagree with that, the flip side of which is, um, who the heck gets into position at at a non-towered airport knowing that there is traffic on final? True. That's always kind of been, I, I know guys that do that. Uh, and and knowing that he's going to have to fly over you to land, right? I know guys that do that, and it's like I know so and so, and he always lands high. 
and, well, and, I'm, and I'm sitting off to the side thinking, unless the engine sputters or he uh-huh. catches a downdraft or uh-huh. hits a bird or, uh, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, uh, yeah. passes gas. In <laughs> in, yeah, if the uh, engine coughs, what are you going to do? Yeah. Um, uh, this and, is and not. Rate, uh, the amazing thing is that, to me is that uh, uh, it, it must have been a real bitch to taxi that Piper. Well, yeah, and it was it was probably a little bit uh, interesting to climb down from it also. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. One of the pictures is a straight on from the uh in front of the two aircraft. The uh, That's the really amazing picture of the two. Is yeah. so the uh so here's the Piper perched uh, uh, from our vision off to the left of the fuselage. Fuselage. I always have trouble with that word. Um, of the uh, Stinson, the uh, the Stinson's prop has sliced into the cowling of the Piper. Um, but the the you know, I guess it's hard to see whether or not the Piper prop clipped the Stinson as well. It looks bent up, but I don't the see. The Piper any, prop is pretty mangled, but I don't um, see any damage on the Stinson. Maybe we just don't have yeah. a picture. Yeah, it, it came off center, and none of the shots really give us a good look at the uh, Stinson clean. Yeah. So it's really hard to say one way or the other. Uh, to me, uh, it's a you know a fact of great fortune that the uh, Piper came off, came down. Uh, oh, big time. Off off center. Big time. Yeah, centered up would be a whole different story. A whole different story. Centered up, we could be definitely talking about a different situation, uh, one that uh, we've seen happen before with just taxiing aircraft, uh, where a small one got in the blind spot of a large one, and the large one never knew the small one was there. Well, you know, two two other things going on here. Um, One is, this is a classic High wing high versus wing. low wing. Yeah, and that's what uh, I wanted to talk which, about a little bit. Go ahead. Yeah. Second thing is, this is not the first time uh, in in recent memory that something like this has happened. Uh, there were there were both two guys knew that they were there. Yeah, there were two V tail bonanzas that landed atop each other recently. Uh, it's been within the last couple of three years. Um, I remember a famous case Cherokee on top of a one fifty. Uh huh. That land that that co- actually collided in the air. Right. On final, and successfully, and and I won't say safely, but successfully, i.e., uh, um, no no serious injuries, landed on the intended runway. Yeah, um, this was uh, probably six or eight years ago now, uh, now nah, eight or nine years ago now, um, and I'm sure it's happened uh, um, in other on other occasions um, in other locales that we don't have as good evidence of it. That is not in the practical test standard. It's not in the in the PTS. It is not, not in, in your BFR. What can um, so this is a very unique situation. I mean, not very unique, obviously, just given some other examples. But yeah. um, um, you know, you talk well, about it being enough. you talk about it being a classic high wing low wing um, you know loss of visibility situation. What can you do? What any tips for the average pilot to to kind of you know, be on the lookout for these things. I mean, well, is it just a case one, of being on the lookout, or is well, there anything? Item do? one is not don't do position and hold at a non-towered airport. Yeah, that's one. Okay, I, can we roll back here about ten frames? Yeah. Absolutely. Jim and I are both very high time low wing pilots. Yeah, I mean, you know, based on our relative time <coughs> flying and the aircraft that we've typically flown most of those hours and. 
uh, we're both very familiar with high wings, and we've learned on high wings, flown a lot of high wings, but we're also both very uh, 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 experienced low wing pilots. Now, Jeb, I know will correct me if I'm if I'm really straying a, a field here, but I don't ever remember a time in a low wing aircraft when my low wings blocked the bloody runway threshold <laughs> before okay. the cowl blocked the runway threshold right. in exactly the same way that the cowl of a high wing airplane is apt to block the threshold. Right. No, so I, abs- I have a little I have a little aversion to the idea that yeah, instinctively you look at it on its face it's easy to say it's a high wing, low wing. Well, obviously, the high wing guy was going to have a problem if he was sitting pointed down runway, mm-hmm. unless he's got eyes in the back of his head or turns around and looks through the skylights. He's not seeing what's behind him. But the idea that the low wing got set up on a final where he was blocking the view of the arrival end of the runway just smacks against the landing sight picture that I've been using for years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And but that's, I've got a clear view of the numbers, baby. I got a clear view right just ahead of the nose because my whole target is predicated on that spot in front of the nose. It's not moving forward, not moving backward. It's just getting yeah. bigger yeah. because right. that's here's, where I'm going to hit. Here's here's uh, you know the article of course says that there are trees at the end at the approach end of the runway. Definitely um, understand that. Yeah. What I think is, is would be interesting to really know more about is the the, the specific timing. Okay, you know here's the here's the warrior on uh, on final approach. Um, he's aiming for you know his touchdown spot, whatever. Um, the trees. Slide under the cowling. The threshold slides under the cowling. He's still maybe what 100, 150 feet in the air. Yeah. And about this time, the Stinson taxis out and lines up, uh, awaiting the Warriors' uh, landing. At this point, neither pilot can see the other. That's right. Because the the threshold is underneath the Warriors' cowling, and of course, the Stinson's is is, is facing the opposite direction. And and I, I kind of wonder if maybe that might not be what happened here, but I'm sorry, I, I still um, I still have a problem with um, taxiing into position on the runway, uh, knowing that there is traffic on final, yeah, especially yeah. especially when there are trees that that might otherwise block the view of the threshold for the warrior pilot. Um, there's just something uh, I, I would never do that. I would never knowingly. Let's put it that way. I would never knowingly um, put, in a position you know, put, put myself in a position when there's somebody on short final. It's just not yeah. going to happen. Yeah. Many times, controlled airports, uncontrolled airports, tower and non-tower. You you, know, you pick how you want to define it. I have positioned and held right behind an arriving aircraft, mm-hmm. knowing that it was knowing that it was going to get turned off. And I was going to be out of there before the next one on final got within a mile of the runway. Right. I'm going to be gone and climbing out. He's going to be descending below my glide path. I'm going to be climbing above his descent path. Is, I'm is, going to be out of there when he touches down. Is this a not? Here and waiting for him to go over my head. Not on your bloody life. Yeah, not going to happen. And we're talking, uh, I would presume in this instance, we're talking non-towered facilities. 
I've handed in both. Yeah, well, that's kind of that's kind of part of my point yeah, here. Th- yeah, th- there's, th- there's, there's particular situation. Yeah, there's two things going on. One is it's a non-towered facility, so there's there's no third party really looking around and making sure that there is no possibility of two aircraft uh, being on the same piece of pavement at the same time. Uh, notice I say piece of pavement as opposed to runway because we've all seen situations where um, a, a an aircraft is uh, cleared into position on a runway um, behind landing traffic before that landing traffic has cleared the runway. Um, the the other thing going on here though <clears throat> is you know, let's I want to make sure we keep our terminology straight. Um, there is an ATC clearance called um, taxi into position and hold. Right. Okay. Um, a lot of people confuse uh, position and hold at a non-towered airport with that clearance. Um, they got into a discussion. Yeah, yeah. Got into a discussion uh, a year or so ago with a, uh, a magazine reader, aviation safety magazine reader, about that. I said, "Look, you know, there, you you can taxi to the onto the runway uh, and hold in position, but don't think that you're accepting a clearance uh, or or that the normal." Uh, um, um, separation standards apply in that event uh, if you're doing it at a non-towered airport. Mm-hmm. That's right. Don't, don't, don't consider it a, a position and hold clearance because it's not a clearance because there's no one to give you that clearance. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to step out and, and, and make a, a not a, I don't want this to be taken as an over, a total blanket generalization, but the people who taught me to fly kind of taught me that unless I'm seeing the end of the runway, you know, up to a certain point. Now, if I'm on an ILS, you know, an 8,000 foot, 10,000 foot runway, and the last 200 feet, I don't see the threshold marks. Big deal. Yeah. Big deal. I already know there's nobody down there because I saw that piece of pavement. Hopefully, right after I broke out, just before it disappeared under the under the cow. But high wing or low wing, if you're making approaches where your cowl is blocking part of the arrival end of the runway the whole way through final uh a couple of things occurred to me either you're doing a, a steep approach for some specific reason or you're not giving yourself benefit of of all the options available because as this points out you could have somebody under the cow not uh-huh. in the low wing this can happen to a highway you could have something under the cow that you really don't want to run into when you get down there yeah yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm just having a whole uh, problem picturing myself setting up in an uncontrolled field where I don't see almost every available inch of the runway before I get into uh, into ground effect. Yeah. Just well, before I get into ground effect, that includes going into a couple of little airports near here where trees do block the arrival end, uh-huh. and I set up a tighter pattern uh, on downwind a. Uh, and get a good look at the runway going down and the taxiway parallel to it, and then uh, hold approach at a little higher angle so that I can see more of the runway until I get clear of those trees. Because, frankly, I don't want to be coming across those trees in any kind of headwind at 10 or 15 feet on a shallow, normal glide slope approach. Uh, The chances of popping a little bit of a a rotor on on the downwind side of the tree line and losing that 10 or 15 feet, I see some guys, you know, uh-huh. count on. 
Uh, at worst, you're going to pick up leaves, or at best, you might pick up leaves from the trees. At best, the trees might pick up an airplane. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Another thing here, too, is is generally, in, in whether it's a non-towered facility or a towered facility, um, in, now, at this specific airport, apparently, again, there was some, some trees that... Uh, uh, obscure the uh, the threshold area of the runway, but um, generally speaking, I'm watching uh, not only my approach and and not only you know my airspeed and, and the airplane and everything else, but I'm also watching what's going on on the airport surface in front of me as I'm approaching the runway, and there have been more than one occasions um, where as I'm on shore final and maybe only uh, you know 100 150 feet above the the, the runway. Some maroon decides to take the active and take off, oh. um, and uh, I guess my my point here is, um, I'm if there's any traffic lined up um, to take the runway after I land, I'm watching them like a hawk. Right, um, and uh, um, I like to wave when I go by. Yeah, um, any any movement by them towards you know or crossing some imaginary line or or a physical line or or actually onto the runway, um, obviously I'm gonna I'm gonna go around. I remember uh, um, years ago I was flying a an Archer uh, that had a uh, the trim the uh, pitch trim on it was uh, askew, shall we say. Um, such that anything more than half flaps, you had to hold major nose down uh, pressure on the yoke. And I was actually ferrying the airplane to a shop uh, to get that particular problem fixed. Um, and I'm, you know, I go ahead and make my pattern and I make my announcements and I start sliding down final. And sure enough, I'm on short final. Uh, I just put down full flaps and was and was really majorly extending my my left arm to to get them keep the nose down and maintain airspeed. And some maroon um, uh, decides to take the active and take off right in front of me. Uh, I found out later the guy's an instructor. And I had a student with him, so I, you know, I was, I was, I kept my mouth shut for a change. But uh, <clears throat> excuse me, um, <laughs> okay. there, there's, there's just no excuse for not watching the, the. Uh, I, I guess what I'm coming to is both of these guys should s- share some blame. Yeah, yeah. Here. Oh, the, the, the Stinson guy f- for being on the runway, knowing that there's traffic landing. And the, the warrior guy for not keeping uh, every uh, uh, speck of the runway inside at all times. Yeah. Now there is there is that scenario where you know at the last possible second, uh, when the nose, I mean when the um, the threshold of the runway slid under the warrior's nose, did this guy take the active? But what's he doing there in the first place? Right, right. Well, Maybe it, you know it recalls the classic uh, uh, Abbott and Costello routine. Who's yeah. on first? Who's on first? Yeah. Maybe the rule. Third maybe. Base. Yeah, maybe third base. Maybe a good rule of thumb is the one that they teach you uh, riding bicycles and perhaps motorcycles as well. And that is that when you're riding in, in amongst the traffic, uh, assume that you're invisible. Um, right. As, assume that no one oh, can absolutely. see you. All right. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Don't, don't count on the fact that the other guy saw you. And uh, Two of the most deadly lines in, in, in modern history. I didn't see the motorcycle and I didn't know the gun was loaded. That's right. right. That's right. Anyways. Um, 
you know, researching. See him on file. <laughs> yeah, trying to pull together possible things to talk about here this morning. Uh, not that we ever have any trouble with that, it seems. Um, one thing I, I noticed, and a good long time out of that one. And and in retrospect, I wish I had made a list, but I kept coming across a lot of of, of uh, aircraft crash stories in the news over the last week you or so. That too? Yeah, it wasn't yeah. just me, huh? What's going on we with that? We were having this great, after we were having this great discussion going on. Over uh-huh. the now a lot of them were were reports being released. Does NTSB release reports in in batches or or as they're done? Um, there's there's two answers um, yeah. to that. Actually, there's three three sources uh, on an ongoing basis of of um, of reports. One, of course, is uh, uh, the, the most uh, immediate um, factual information available is from the FAA's website, where they will <clears throat> um, um, the next they have day often. Yeah, yeah, they they will put out a preliminary report, which includes you know the type of airplane, the location, the in number, um, status of the passengers, etc. Uh, that's very bare bones. Um, a week to ten days, nominally later. Um, the NTSB will have an, an entry in their database, uh, again, with, with very basic data uh, derived, if there is a, uh, uh, an NTSB investigation, derived from the, the, the very early data. Later on down the road. what the FAA sends. Right. Yeah. Later on down the road. Well, sometimes. Some, um, yeah. Often the NTSB will delegate to the local FAA inspector that the authority to investigate um, later on down the road, maybe a year or so, um, and sometime within the within the first year, the NTSB may, and it's not always, but it may uh, publish what it considers to be the factual data from its investigation. Um, for example, just recently, and this may be one of the things that Jack is thinking of. Uh, the NTSB published the factual information from its investigation of a Cessna 310 that impacted a house, um, I want to say Vero Beach or, or something like that, somewhere in Florida, right. a year or so ago. This was a, a Cessna 310. It was operated by NASCAR right. and apparently had an in-flight fire. And um, we don't know. I, I haven't looked at the factual yet. Um, uh, don't know exactly what happened, but it was a major deal. Apparently, it, it either killed or seriously injured a woman on the ground in the house. Um, it was a major, major accident. Um, they have not yet rendered a probable cause finding, but they have released a bunch of this data. Right. And then, of course, as, as I just alluded, the final uh, um, piece of data or piece of information regarding the accidents of these types is a probable cause determination by the by the NTSB. Yeah, and that may or that that will come after the board holds what may be uh, more or less pro forma report uh-huh. to accept the investigators' right uh, uh, factual submissions, or it may come uh, after the board has a, uh, a specific hearing right on an accident. Uh, as as could be the case in, a, in an airline crash, in a significant GA crash, uh, and remembering that the NTSB does things other than aviation. Right. Uh, one of the more significant uh, NTSB field hearings I ever covered was uh, in Anchorage, Alaska, uh, several weeks after the Exxon Valdez uh, oil spill in Prince William Sound. 
the only reason I got sent up there was because having done aviation for a long time, I'd done a lot more aviation accident work with the NTSB people than any of my newspapers. Maritime writers had done NTSB investigations of maritime accidents because in terms of relative numbers, the NTSB just right. wasn't investigating that many ship accidents. Right, right, right. And, and uh, But they also do pipelines, trucks, buses, uh-huh. uh, major highway accidents. Railway. Like a bus accident up yeah. in, that's right, railway, like a bus accident up in Kentucky years ago. Uh, some of them can turn quite gargantuan, like some of the worst airline accidents. Uh, but it did seem like in the last week that we had not only a number of factual and some probable cause stuff come out of the FAA from accidents of a year and two years back. Uh, We also had some groups releasing their explanations and their lessons learned pieces on past accidents from the last couple of years. Uh, And then we had, unfortunately, a a number of of, uh, fatal accidents in the last Right. The last week or ten days. Yeah, there, there, there have been to to really confirm or get back to Jack's original observation. There does seem to be a spike uh, here recently, and and I would generally think it has to do with the weather and people. Uh, oh, they're out flying again for the first time. Out flying again, and you have uh, a, a kind of a double-headed uh, uh, um, problem here, which is the airplane has been sitting for the most part for a few months, and it may not be a hundred percent. And the pilot has been sitting for a few months, and and the pilot may not be a hundred percent. And uh, they hop in and go somewhere as if nothing's happened, and yeah, the the combination of not being a hundred percent on the hardware or the software means that uh, something happens. That's right. That's right. Um, I'm used to. When we still had Air Comanche, Mama threw my butt out to the airport. Uh-huh. No less than if I didn't fly for three weeks, I better be taking a flight bag, my knee board, my license and logbook out to uh-huh. the bloody airport and exercising that airplane. If all I did was visit three airports, do three touch and goes at each one, stop and have a cup of coffee and say hello, yeah. I was not to come back until <laughs> I had an hour and a half or two hours on the burden for that three-week period because, A, we were paying for it anyway. That's yeah. the practical side of my yeah. partner. B, uh, she's interested in me staying sharp, given how much that I was flying uh, the airplane. And C, she's interested in her staying alive because of how right. often she rides with me. So, right. you know, it was a fairly practical application of the airplane, uh, we always thought. And another one of those good excuses to throw off that that rhetoric that you hear that uh, you really shouldn't mess with an instrument rating unless you're going to use it every day, fly to the grocery store and back because, you know, if you don't use it on a clear blue day, by God, it's just no good. Yeah. Uh, get out there because you learn things about flying that are going to be so helpful even uh, uh, on non-IFR days. They're going to be helpful in teaching you to be sharper. Uh, they're going to make it easier for you to justify getting out there in the cold and winter and putting in an hour on a you know a fifteen hundred foot overcast day when otherwise you'd look at that and go oh no man that might go that might go totally south and I'd be stuck out there right right uh, yeah anyways yeah. Move, I'm sorry pity. final thought before we move on it, one 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 final thought is in I don't I haven't talked to the NTSB uh, to really ask this question but one thing I have noticed um, with very minor accidents. 
and I'm thinking, you know, ground loops that, that cause some damage that make the, uh, uh, the reporting cut. Uh, I have recently uh, apparently seen the NTSB really um, um, issue a probable cause determination much more quickly yeah. uh, than they have in the past on the order of 30 days after the accident, after a ground loop, for example, or a runway loss of control. Um, they'll they'll wipe their hands of the whole thing and and they'll put a probable cause determination out and be done with it. Whereas, in in the past, um, is my recollection anyway that um, it might take them a year to handle even as minor an event as a ground loop. So, um, I, I don't know if that's a an accurate observation or not, but it's it's certainly an impression on my part. Yeah. Okay. Nothing wrong with expediency where it's clear cut. And- there you go. That's right. Moving on. Let's see now. Um, you know, I just added this to the list. You guys, if you don't refresh your page, you won't see it. Um, um, I wanted to, I've been wanting to talk about this for a little while. Uh, as many of many listeners know, uh, Jeb appeared on the uh, on Steve Tupper's Airspeed podcast a few weeks back, and had a really fascinating conversation with Steve uh, on all sorts of issues related to a- aviation safety. Um, and if you haven't yet listened to that episode of Steve's podcast, you really ought to. It has uh, generated a, quite an extensive uh, discussion thread in the Uncontrolled really? Airspace forums. Um, talk- uh-huh. I'll have to go check that out. Talking about uh, uh, you know the the statistics of aviation safety and how you know compared to something else, how safe is flying and things like that. Um, and uh, you know, I actually had as a, as almost filler on our story list for a long period of time a few months ago um, a subject I wanted to talk about, and I just kept cutting it. But you know, in the, on the subject of aviation safety and the question of how safe or or unsafe is it to fly GA aircraft. I've always figured that, you know, you look at this, the averages, the stats, you know, and people say, oh, it's like the equivalent of riding a motorcycle or it's, you know, safer to drive to fly than it is to drive to the airport and all these kinds of things. I always figured for myself, for my sort of own comfort level, that whatever the averages were, whatever the likelihood or the probability of hurting myself were, I was dramatically improving my safety potential because I had two rules that I followed that have recently become three rules. My two rules always were, and before I say my two rules, I was very pleasantly surprised to hear um, on Steve's podcast that Jeb uh, uh, described his three rules to be almost exactly the same three rules. Um, my three rules, the way I was going to make sure that I was, you know, re- as safe as I could possibly be, um, is, I mean, aside from the obvious things like doing good pre-flight and planning right. and, you know, all that kind of stuff, all right, I, don't run out of gas, all right, that's one thing you don't want to do. All right, because you see, you see, you hear that all the time. All right, if you factor those out of the stats, av- flying becomes a lot safer. Um, don't fly into IFC, um, or, or put more generally, don't lose sight of the horizon, whatever that means. You know, haze. No, or, uh, no, 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 VFR into IFR. Right. Mm-hmm. Don't basically don't fly into the clouds. Don't get yourself jammed up. You know, whatever it takes to make sure that you can you can make out the horizon. That's my second rule, and and what prompted me to talk about want to talk about it a few months ago is that it was just pissing me off that I was seeing you see this all the time um, stories about some some fool maroon as Jeb colorfully puts it um, who 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 gets his ass killed by 
by buzzing a buddy's house who goes out <sighs> flying and wants to show uh, off and buzzes his friend's house mm-hmm. and 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 See, now that's my generic my generic number three is don't do nothing stupid yeah you know? <laughs> that's right and, uh, uh, and 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 this isn't an, a slam at anybody's intellect or background I'm, I'm just a, you know and I, I got to go with you know, number one and, and number two. Yeah. Don't run out of gas. Mm-hmm. Came close once. Still scares me to think about it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Me too. Uh, don't VFR and IFR. Came close once. Still scares me. Uh, but then there's this generic to me. Don't do stupid things. Yeah. Uh, buzzing a buddy's house. Uh Elderly gentleman, one of the very first nice old gentleman pilots of my acquaintance here in Wichita, had this beautiful old Fairchild 24 and went to buzz a buddy's house, taking me along for the ride. Scared the bejesus out of me. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Never so, want to do it again. Yeah. Um, it, no, I, I don't. I don't disagree with anything. Yeah. Well, um, obviously, because yeah, I was said. really thrilled. To, you know, it's like, oh, okay. Well, I'm not the only one. That's great. And uh, I no, really and, feel that these three things. If you manage to accomplish these three things, y- you've you've really dramatically changed the the stats. Um, you you absolutely have. And um, you know, I don't know about the you know. I haven't had a chance, and, and I've had some hardware issues here on my uh, computer equipment, so I haven't spent a whole lot of time surfing here over the last week or two. Um, so I'm not sure what what the discussions are on the on the forums. Um, the statistics and the, and the uh, uh, you know is is aviation is general aviation as safe as riding a motorcycle or is it as safe as driving a car? Um, I think that's kind of the wrong question. Mm-hmm. Uh, to ask, I, I, I think that um, it, it's as safe as you want to make it, and I think that if we take, if we look at the, even if we look at the statistics of, of general aviation safety, and and we consider that lumped into those stats are every non-commercial operation known to man. Yeah, and we start lopping out certain things. Let's 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 take Alaska bush flying out. Yep. Let's take aerial application out. Let's take parachute jumping out. Let's take pipeline patrol out. Let's even take flight instruction, uh, primary flight instruction out. Which, which is typically really low probability accident territory. Low probability stats. accident territory, um, but occasionally airplanes do get dinged up. Um, ground loops or or uh, hard landings, things of that sort, as as people learn to fly them. And let's let's kind of concentrate on a private pilot, with or without an instrument rating, um, using a a, a four seat, uh, 180 horsepower airplane or or more horsepower um, to get the hundred dollar hamburger or to go visit Aunt Aunt Maud or something like that. Over the and, river, over the woods, right. And we will find that I would I would suggest that that the actual statistics show that general aviation is safer than riding a motorcycle, uh, perhaps not as safe as driving a car, and perhaps not as safe as as an airliner. Um, but uh, I think that the safety is there. There's an old um, uh, and I, an old saying. You know, I don't know if it comes from that famous um, list of uh, uh, Army Air Corps rules dating from the, the um, teens or the twenties, uh, but it's basically something like, you know, stay in the middle of the air. 
Yeah. Don't get go. too high. Don't get too don't low. Get too low. Stay in, in a, translate that into stay in the middle of the operating envelope, uh, the airplane's operating envelope, and your own operating envelope. When landing on an open field runway, take great pains to avoiding hitting the tree. Right. Right. Um, uh, you know, uh, my 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 rule of thumb when we start to talk about this is, okay, let me first allow me first to take out the and I'm going to do it again. The stupidity-based accidents. <laughs> yeah. The ones where we're trained from day one to know better, and somehow or another, a few of us, unfortunately, so many times it seems like too many of us, go ahead and do them anyway. And I'm not talking about the guy that runs out of gas because, unbeknownst to him, uh, a, a sump drain valve stuck open. Right. And while it was just dripping a few drops every minute on the ground, at cruise speed, it was siphoning fuel out at an alarming rate And before he noticed the tanks were dry. Uh, I'm talking about the guy that says, well, I know it says empty, but I ought to be able to squeeze another 100 miles out of it. I did that day with a tailwind. Uh, I recall, a, a, I'm not going to get specific here because it's not our point to embarrass anybody, but I recall some people coming to one of our favorite air shows up in uh, the wilds of Wisconsin one year who's uh, – uh, fuel totalizing equipment had long since told them that they were down on reserves and they decided to try to stretch it an additional I don't know 50-60 miles from Milwaukee oh, to Fond du Lac oh, and managed yeah. to stretch it about 5 miles Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm sorry uh, but honest guys those shouldn't count against us you know the rest of us that are that are, are scared enough. I don't want to say smart enough because the people that do this very often are very smart and otherwise intelligent people that just kind of suddenly think that uh, for some reason that physics laws are taking the day off for them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't happen. There's no theory of relativity here. You run out of gas when the tanks are relatively dry, you're coming down relatively quickly. I'm surprised pretty, pretty, that one of the straightforward. I'm surprised that one of the uh, Alphabet Aviation organizations or some other organization hasn't ever sliced up the statistics to to make this distinction. Well, uh, the, I think there's two see that some of it has been done. Yeah, but. yeah. The, the other problem here is um, the numbers. Once you start crunching these numbers, first of all, the raw data um, is not good. The quality is not good. I see. No one really knows. For example. Um, the activity levels. They can guesstimate it, and they can get kind of close, right. but there's still a, a, a fairly substantial percentage variation um, in their assumptions um, because there's no rec- reporting requirements to um, say, well, you know, um, all Beach Bonanza's uh, 35 series flew X number of hours last calendar year. We don't they know they survey, that. They survey a third of the pilots every <clears throat> year. Uh, and there, there's a way they to even do it every year now. Yeah, and and there's uh, I haven't been surveyed, but that's another issue. Um, um, and there's you can look at the the fuel sales and kind of calculate you know number of hours activity sales, level right activity levels and and things of this sort. You can look at air airport uh, um, movement reports and and get you know activity levels, but all of that presumes. Uh, that we're not buying MoGas and flying from our own grass strip 
right. out in the middle of nowhere. There's a lot that doesn't cover. And, and don't hit the radar, literally or figuratively, don't come up on the radar screen. But, but you know, I mean, admittedly, it would be a little crude, but how hard would it be to just plain subtract out anything in Alaska, anything that involves fuel starvation, you know, running out of gas, uh, and anything that involves VMC into Actually, that, IMC? that would be doable. And, and if you just take, you know, the generic statement, you know, whether it's uh, uh, Bruce Landsberg at the Air Safety Foundation or uh, somebody in the GA Safety Department at 800 Independence uh, saying, well, X percentage of the accidents are due to pilot error. Mm-hmm. Now, pilot error covers that, you know, that, oh, crap, the engine quit, we ran out of gas, to I flew VFR into IFR and paid the price to, uh, uh, wow, I I knew I shouldn't leave 3,000 feet behind me on a 4,000-foot runway, but I just couldn't help myself. Now, what, do you, what do you mean my Cessna 152 won't carry this piano? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the refrigerator, I swore it was going to fit. You if, know, you, if you I factor out that 70%, weight which is the typical number that we hear, 60 to 70%, uh, if you factor those out and then look at the rest of the accident uh, uh, and fatality statistics, uh, you know, that for that 30% that's not caused by quote-unquote pilot error, uh, makes us look a lot better. Yeah. Uh, and it, you know, And it does kind of give a break to those of us who... Not saying that none of us have ever done this and survived, got lucky, but those of it that did it, that got into that situation knowing that it was a mistake, hating it and just so thrilled to live that we will never ever do it again. <laughs> uh, that's kind of helpful. Yeah. Um, and you get up and you go on. Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, if. I, Ultimate safety was what I worried about. Uh, I'm not sure I'd have graduated from kindergarten. Well, and that's that's Wait a point a I, Did I, get I tried. Out of kindergarten. That's, that's a point <laughs> yeah. I tried to make to Steve. And and let me also add at this juncture um, uh, a special thanks to Steve for for having me on. It was a it was a gas uh, to, to to chat with Steve and be on oh, his podcast. He's a lot of fun. He is, and uh, I I look forward to doing it again anytime. Um, uh, secondly, Jack, thank you for for bringing all this up and and uh, uh, for uh, uh, mentioning my appearance there. Yeah. Um, <sighs> I don't know. You know, it, it, I, there's, you there's so much to say, and, and there's so yeah. And it's, yeah. it's all been said. Um, well, then, um, having then, then let's move on. Yeah. Well, I guess the I guess the last thing I would say though is is that uh, you know, in talking um, with Steve and in talking with. Um, uh, conversation I had with uh, uh, Bruce Landsberg at, at AOPA Air Safety Foundation recently. Um, if if we take out all this stuff and we don't do nothing stupid, and uh, uh, Bruce and I were talking about this this episode from a year or two ago, where uh, uh, a guy flying a, a beach baron um, did I forget what the specific maneuver was? He had a low pass and a pull up or something like that, or something like basically the airplane disintegrated uh, at or above red line uh, with with five people aboard ouch uh, yeah, over somewhere this. near atlanta georgia this was a couple of years ago as yeah. i say and basically bruce made the point um saying all right next time you want to do something stupid like this um stop and turn around to your passengers 
and say, okay, guys, I, I, I need a vote of confidence here. says, I want to do this specific maneuver. Um, I've never done it before, but I've read about it. Um, the airplane isn't certified for this particular maneuver. Um, the FAA. Now, I know somebody's gotten away with it. Yeah, the FAA considers it illegal. Um, and if I screw it up, we're all going to die. But doesn't it sound like fun? Doesn't it sound like fun? And, and what do you all think about my doing this? Let's give it a try. <laughs> Let's give it a shot. And if you yeah. think about it in those terms, uh, I don't think so. Yeah. Yep. Be careful. Be smart out there. Just don't be. Don't be, be smart. Be, there, or or as go. Dave puts Just it, don't be, be stupid. Yeah. No, be smart is is a very good way be to put smart. it. Let's be put smart it in a positive yeah. way to do it. Yeah. And if you have to, if you find yourself sitting there going. But if this screws up, yeah, right. If you if you've got to inject that 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 qualifier into this, you really should be thinking seriously about whether this is the right thing to do. My uh, the, my primary the, instructor, uh, my primary instructor said he taught me that he said you know when you're when you're you know turning base to or downward to base base to final he said if if you're thinking about whether you need to add more flaps you probably do. So here's yeah. the thing: if you're thinking about whether it's a bad idea, it probably is. Well, another standard that we can employ, and it's come straight from the FAA's uh, practical test standards. And that is whether or not the outcome of the maneuver is seriously in doubt. Yeah. If the outcome of your operation, your flight, your decision, your your uh, whatever, is ever in doubt, then you're doing it wrong. Yeah. One of the hardest, you know, get over it, your crossways not happening this trip was bad weather, high-density arrival volume into Peachtree to Cab ahead of an NBAA, not the last time, not last year when it was in Atlanta, but uh, uh, time before that. And I had my slot reservation under the stump, and I was on time. Matter of fact, I had waited an hour over in Huntsville, Alabama, because I couldn't get my slot changed, and I got to Huntsville an hour and a half faster than flight plan. Uh, I was on the heels of some B A W. Yeah. Big ass weather. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, No really, it's in the it's in the aim. Yeah. Yeah. It's in the That's aim. Right. That's right. Got to you know, went up to the I believe it was the Rome V O R or thereabouts or Athens, someplace up north Georgia. I'm headed down on the arrival. Uh, it's about eighteen gusting high twenties and about thirty degrees off the runway. And, you know, you're you having to shoot the ILS. That's the only way you're going to get in there. And I blew right through the, uh, the, the localizer one way. And then, <laughs> and then just as I almost had it centered back up, picked up a big gust, and I'm about two dots off and closing on the runway, and the swing's getting wider. And it's kind of like, uh, you know, before the controller even asked, I said, I'm not making this. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I want to go missed where you want me. Because the standard mist wasn't looking real attractive right then, not the way they were layering people in from four different cardinal points on the compass. So we went back out and did it again. And he was very nice and patient and understanding and really eased my mind when he told me about the uh, uh, business jet, uh, large cabin category business jet, that about three arrivals ahead of me Uh had had essentially the same thing happen. 
and uh, uh, their flight management system was a little bit foobar, and uh, uh, they were hand flying it, and they were having uh, uh, every bit as much bad timing with the gusts and the turns and the intercepts as I was, and I didn't know whether the guy was telling me the truth, but it sure made me feel better, Mm -hmm. and got in on the next one. And when I broke out, I was still, you know, uh, a half, three-quarters of a dot off to one side, but right on the glide slope, baby. And closed the gap, put it down in the touchdown zone, rolled off, got my parking spot, got out of the airplane and watched. And the very next airplane coming in was a uh, a Falcon 50 that touched down about 2,000 long and blew out two tires. <laughs> yeah. I'm and, not laughing at that pilot's misfortune. I'm just, you know, that that's the... That's the uh, um, exactly, man. That was, you know, it's like, wow, man. I'm I'm not as bad at this as I yeah. thought I was. <laughs> uh, and the uh, FBO manager, it was an old buddy of mine that was in uh, Atlanta from uh, Addison, helping out the host FBO for that convention. And he looked up at me and he said, "I watched you come in. You had a fight on your hand." I went, "Yeah." And he goes, "Well, you had a better fight than that guy." <laughs> 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 That's right. And I'm kind of, you know, and you could hear him go, yeah. pow, pow. It's like, you know, I didn't know high bypass turbo fans would bang like that, backfire like that, without a full compressor stall. And somebody said, oh, no, those were tires. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, sometimes you just got to, it's not happening this kind. Sometimes it may be another see. airport. It just may be another time around the uh, the arrival. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and that, by the way, that time back around the arrival, because that's pretty much, it involved going back and reflying uh, a little over half of the full arrival. Yeah. And that added a good 15 minutes of not very comfortable, uh, not very comfortable flying. Yeah. I mean, it's, this wasn't recreational stuff, man. I'd have much soon been at the hotel bar uh, having a post shakedown, and I mean shakedown scotch, <laughs> than being up there where I was at the time I was there. But yeah. the scotch yeah. came. Yeah. And I didn't blow any tires. That's right. And, and you get, you know, down the road, you get to have another scotch. That's right. That's right. There you and go. going out of there, going out of there five days later mm-hmm. was every bit as much fun as coming in. Yeah. yeah. Just yeah. into the wind instead of downwind. <laughs> Reaching the end of our allotted time here. Uh, there's a couple of them. Yeah. Go ahead. I, I was just going to suggest that uh, there's a couple at the end of the list here that look like shout outs. And uh, anybody want to jump on those? Ooh, know, there's one there, Dave. What's the story with with Paul P? Well, the uh, oh yeah, where is it? I tried to open this a while ago, and I got a. You're not going there from here. Oh, you probably. Uh, oh yeah, Paul oh, Peresnik receives Lifetime Achievement Award. Thank you. Um, f- the Seymour Cray Award for Distinction in Technology. Wisconsin uh, Historical Society's third annual Wisconsin History Makers Gala. And for those of you that just showed up in aviation in the last week, Paul Poresne is uh, the founding father, mentor, and uh, 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 Papa Bear. motivator behind the existence of the Experimental Aircraft Association. Him and his wife, Audrey, uh, his son, Tom, uh, uh Daughters and uh, and others, and and a bunch of his friends, uh, Harry Zeisloft and some others, that got together back in I guess it was 1953 
to get this whole thing off the ground and grow it into what it, it is today. Uh, I've known Paul for a long time. Uh, really generous, extremely generous uh, veteran of World War II. Used to personally fly a lot of the combat aircraft that are in the EAA collection, and I know how much he loved doing that. I would have, too. Uh, it, there's not enough recognition in the long term for what pioneers like Paul and his gang have done for general aviation. So just a, a shout-out to Paul and a congratulations on another in a long string, and we hope that uh, there's a long string yet to come. Yep, absolutely. Uh, any other shout-outs? We, we didn't get to it here, but I'm hoping that Jack will uh, at least mention it in the show notes. By Well, he will if I mention it here yeah. and put the link up. But one of the little things that come out of our friends at the Experimental Aircraft Association this week was a site devoted to helping Oshkosh-bound uh-huh. yeah. people find, very important these days, the least expensive avgas or jet A, as the case may be, to get to Oshkosh and back this summer. Uh, the link will be up on the site. Uh, this is a list of airports that uh, many of whom are on the list year after year. Uh, they really roll out the, the red carpet for the EAA Oshkosh-bound pilots. Uh, good fuel discounts, very often snacks and perks and courtesy cars to get into a restaurant if you need it, if you need a place to stay overnight en route or camp out en route. Uh, they're they're huge supporters directly by this kind of efforts and knowing that for any of us that are going up there on under whatever circumstances the cost of fuel to get up and back this year is going to be a lot different than last year sure and we'd hate to see that be the breaker between you fulfilling your plans to go and sitting on the sideline looking at our show daily on the web saying damn i wish i was up there so check the site out if you got any plans uh it's also not too late nor too early to uh tap into eaa for uh housing opportunities if you're deciding just lately that you want to go yeah so those will be available to you uh they can save you some serious bucks getting up there and back and and and, and add to the experience by exposing you to some other really great people in general aviation yeah, I think also finally, um, not, well, not so much finally, but um, just to kind of as a punctuation note here, um, isn't the NOTAM available? Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. Already, the NOTAM, already, the Oshkosh already. NOTAM is now available for download. You can also order a hard copy that will be mailed to you. Um, if you have even an inkling of a plan, to go to Oshkosh this year, to go to AirVenture this year, uh, now is a great time to go get the NOTAM, to order a paper copy of the NOTAM, um, or otherwise uh, start planning your trip. Yep, yep. Check it out. Um, we'll put it, put the direct link in the notes, but uh, generally go to AirVenture.org, and you'll you'll find probably a link there to uh, to information about the NOTAM, either ordering or downloading. Yep. All right. Yep. Order, ordered mine the week that the the notice went up. Uh, I like to, I like to glom onto a hard copy. Sometimes I don't pick it up until I'm actually yeah. in Wisconsin. But uh, throw them into a little file folder, uh, and when questions come up about you know things weren't like that last year, 
rather than rely on the availability of a, a, a an old link to look at last year's. Yeah. I can yeah. go to the book and say, no, actually, that's the way it was last year. And now, look, it was that way the year before. I downloaded the electronic version and kind of skimmed through it. There are a few changes, not many, but there are a few changes, the most notable of which is they're going to be operating out of the new tower this year. Ooh, very what? nice. What? Yeah. What? Oh. That's what the notum Seriously? says. The notum says that uh, ATC will be operating out of the new tower. So uh, I did not know that. Yeah, I so, didn't know uh, that. There are some changes. Do not, do not, do not assume that because you looked, you flew in last year, that you know no, how to fly in no, this year. No, never, mm-hmm. yeah. never assume. Yeah. You know, if you break that word down, what it turns into. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Thank you, guys. As uh, as usual, it's a blast talking with you. Uh, Thanks, uh, Dave. Dave Higdon is, uh, of course, an aviation photographer, a senior editor for Kit Planes magazine, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales magazine. You can read some of his work. Uh, check it out at uh, kitplanes.com or avbuyer.com slash worldaircraftsales. They, uh, they made him a senior editor? Wow. Uh, apparently. That's, be- that's what he told me, and I never double-checked. <laughs> they, 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 they do that to anybody over a certain age. I see. I see. I see. Oh, you're a senior. Oh, it's that kind of a senior. Okay. <laughs> and thanks to Jeb. Jeb Burnside is an aviation journalist currently serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. And you can learn more about Jeb at jebburnside.com, aviationsafetymagazine.com, or avweb.com. And me, I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. Check out my stuff at jackhodgson.com or aroundthefield.net. And, of course, check out all of us at Uncontrolled Airspace at our website, uncontrolledairspace.com. So we'll thanks. see you on the forums, folks. And remember, time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. There you go. Thanks, everyone, for joining us in the virtual hangar, and we'll talk to you all again next time.